You're listening to Why Talk Climate, an expert podcast series on mobilizing youth for climate action, produced and directed by BCCIC Climate Change. Hello again, listeners, and welcome back to BCCIC's Why Talk Climate podcast. This is our fourth episode, and this month we have the pleasure of chatting with Marina Melanidis, founder of the youth-led organization Youth for Nature, and a local leader in climate and environmental activism. As always, we'd like to begin by introducing ourselves. My name is Simran Sarai, and I'm a student in the environmental science program at Simon Fraser University. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. My name is Bo Min, and I'm a criminology and international relations major, also from SFU. Hope everyone's been well, and thanks for tuning in to our podcast again. A little bit about the Why Talk Climate podcast. It is hosted by BCCIC Climate Change, which is BC's youth-led climate change division. Our aim is to engage with young adults and the general public and provide information on climate change topics in an accessible fashion for all. Now, Bowman has a bit of an introduction. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Simran. We would like to take a moment to welcome and introduce our guest, Marina. She is a youth climate leader and founder of Youth for Nature, which is a global youth-led nonprofit that is mobilizing people to lead on solutions for both climate crisis and ecological crisis that are grounded in community and justice. She represented the BCCIC and the UN Climate Change Conference in Poland and founded a youth eco-conservation working group within the youth constituency of the UN. Marina, I'm already inspired. We are so happy to have you. How are you doing? I'm really good. Uh, thanks so much for having me too, Bowman and Simran. It's so, so good to be here. Okay, glad to hear that. I guess we'll dive right into our discussions. So Marina, you have experiences as a youth climate leader and founding the Youth for Nature, among all else that you've done. I'm sure our audience would love to hear how all of that started. So what have been the sources of inspiration for you that got you involved in climate action in the first place? Yeah, you know, I think I get this question a lot. Um, And you think by now I'd have like a really good nice easy to wrap up in a bow answer to like oh this was my aha moment this was the source of inspiration this is the reason why I'm in the space that I'm in but I I like don't I don't really have an aha moment Um, I think me getting involved um, in climate action and in like the youth climate movement and in the nature climate nexus was a really gradual thing Um, something that I think about like that I point actually a lot of this to is my mom got me a uh, National Geographic Kids magazine subscription when I was younger in elementary school. And that's actually, I think that's where I first heard the term climate change was like reading that magazine um, and learned about about the, ex- the, the extinction crisis and how an- we- animals are losing their homes and we're losing biodiversity and I cared about that a lot because I really liked animals. I still like animals, but like I really liked animals as, as a kid. Um, and, and, and that was, I mean, that was just a small thing though. And I think it really all just kind of snowballed from there. I also credit, I mean, I credit a lot uh, to growing up where I have um, here in unceded Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh territories in Vancouver and, and in, and in Richmond as well. Uh, and just being so close to the forest and to the ocean and to the mountains all together, like all 
sandwiched up shoulder to shoulder together um, and growing up camping and growing up in nature I think the connection to these places was really natural um, and was and was really obvious for me and when I first realized and learned that these places were in danger that these places um, we could that we could lose these places or they could look a lot different because of um, biodiversity loss because of climate crisis I, wanting to, to fix that, to fix, I put in quotations, <laughs> to fix that or to address that was obvious for me. Um, and I really, I mean, I also really liked science in school and especially liked biology and ecology. Um, so that kind of helped me figure out like, okay, well, I'm interested in ecology and biology. So that's going to be like what I start to learn to kind of get my first foot in the door and to learn more about this space and to figure out how exactly I'm going to go about like addressing these environmental challenges. But, but knowing that I wanted to address those environmental challenges was really easy. Like that was just a natural gradual thing. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm in my third year now and I still don't quite know what I truly like. I guess I like everything. My interests are everywhere basically. Yeah. And <laughs> I believe you, everyone here will um, agree to this, but um, we have our sources of inspiration pretty much everywhere. We look at the news and say, oh, I really want to study this. And, you know, even around us, we, we get inspired by people, um, by just social issues and things we see and et cetera. And for those who are tuning in today, don't get anxious or, you know, worried about not figuring out what you want to do. I believe that it is gradual, as Marina said, um, and as you go along the way, and as a learner, there will be some things that it will stick to you. And I guess my advice and everyone's advice here would be trust your gut, trust your gut and go with it and see where that takes you. Yeah, I love that advice. Uh, I also, I like to tell people who are like, what do I do? How do I help? Like, what role do I play? Um, yeah. something I like to like to tell folks something that I like to try to follow as much as possible myself is to follow excitement because like climate crisis is huge. It touches everything. Uh, the biodiversity crisis is huge. It touches everything. And there's so, 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 so much that we have to do. Nobody can do all of it. Um, but, but that also is almost kind of an opportunity, like because it touches everything, because there's so much that we have to do, like there are so many ways that you as an individual, you as a, a listener uh, can, can play a role and can be involved in, and, and, can, and can help and, and can be a part of this, of this climate action movement of this community. So because there are so many options and there's so many opportunities, like what are you excited about? Like what excites you? What motivates you? What interests you? What do you have fun doing um, because this I mean there's so much that we have to do and it's really overwhelming and it can be really scary so so joy is so important so knowing what you're excited about and and being able to link that to the climate movement which is probably easier than you think because of how big this problem is and how how it touches everything and how we need to transform everything like figuring out what you like what you're excited about and how that can be linked to the climate movement can help make sure that you have joy built in to the ways that you're contributing to this movement and to the things that you're bringing to this movement, which is so important because this movement can be scary and, and, and it can be really sad sometimes. Um, and there's like a lot of challenges that we have to address. So I think joy is really important. 
Yeah, I, I love that you touch base on joy part, like the positive part of it, um, because I think we've addressed in our previous episodes as well about how climate action could be discouraging a lot mm-hmm. of times and people can feel uh, more of a negative way than a positive way when it comes to engaging yourself into climate action. And I love how you, you know, basically put that encouragement in there where find your excitement and everyone is part of it. You know, there is a reason why we say do your part, right? Because we are active part of the problem and of the issue and everyone has a role and everyone can make changes in what we do today. And even so, and in the process, we can get discouraged, but we're all here for you. And Marina's here for you. Um, her work is here for you, her group, her, and all the DCCIC and et cetera, all the NGOs are here for you. Um, we're all, hopefully this podcast is also encouraging you in, all, in a way. Um, so whatever it is, whatever learning process that you're in, uh, we hope that you can find your place and your excitement um, part of the climate action we all promote. Yeah. Um, Simran, I think we can move on to our next topic slash question that we have for today. I do have a couple of questions. I love that you talked about how you have to find joy. And I was reading your article um, on the starfish, I believe it's called, on the 30 under 30 list. And it's said that you talked about starting with co-op placements like that's one of the easiest ways to get involved so i was wondering if you had any highlights from your co-op placements or one that you really enjoyed one that stood out or if you just loved all of them equally that's an acceptable answer always (laughs) no i definitely did not love all of them equally (laughs) (laughs) very fair um they're all very different though um yeah i was so i guess to take a step back uh i did my bachelor's of science my undergrad in natural resource conservation at the Faculty of Forestry at the University of British Columbia. And there is a co-op program um, where you could apply. And basically, if you get into this co-op program, you get access to like jobs um, that are more or less related to your degree. And you get this work experience and you get paid, which is great. Um, I was able to pay for at least the second half of my degree through mostly through co-op, which was really important (laughs) for for me. Um, and I, and you can do this in a bunch of different ways. Like some, I know a couple of folks that do like one, just one co-op placement for 20 months, but I did the opposite. I did five different placements that were each four months long and they were all different. Um, I mean, the first one's probably the one that kind of stands out the most, no, it definitely stands out the most, um, was I was a research assistant at the Wildlife Institute of India in Dehradun, India. So I went to India for four months um, and worked uh, at the Wildlife Institute uh, and did basically did um, a research project uh, and also got to travel a lot. Um, so that was my first sort of experience into research and, and to a little bit into academia, but it was also a really formative experience for me um, for, for one, being the furthest away from home I've ever been, um, for being into a, to a country that I've never been um, alone too. I mean, there was one other co-op student with me and we were friends, we became friends, but like I didn't go with family or with friends in the way that I've always traveled uh, in the past. So it was a huge, huge formative experience for me. And I learned a lot. And one of the biggest things I've learned that has continued that I've taken with me and has continued to be with me after that is, is this 
and this is going to, this might sound silly to your listeners, because I'm sure your listeners are smarter than I was in 2015, but it was this realization that, oh my God, climate crisis is a human problem. Like this is a problem that is grounded in and like rooted in humanity. Uh, And that's of course, like, of course it is like, that's probably sounds silly, but until then I was really like thinking about, um, climate crisis from a very like Western science perspective, I think, and thinking that, okay, like this is a science problem. Um, this is like a atmospheric chemistry problem. This isn't like a, how we produce energy problem. And, and all we need is, is better science and the science is going to save us. Um, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until, um, that experience, uh, as a research assistant in India that I really, really actually realized that this isn't a science problem and the science is not going to save us. The science is important. I was, I'm a scientist, like science is very important, but it's not just going to be science alone that saves us. It's going to be people. Um, and it's going to be like, just, it's going to be justice and it's going to be people driven, uh, ground from the ground up movements, uh, that are demanding, better, sustainable, just systems for everybody. Like that's, what's going to save us. Uh, And it took a trip to India. I'm a little bit ashamed to say, to really, really realize that. Um, But I've taken that with me ever since. I don't think that sounds silly at all, because I think at some point in everyone's lives, they have to come to that conclusion on their own. Like for me, it just happened this past year. Like I got into environmental science thinking, okay, yeah, like technology is going to save us. We're going to come up with all these cool Hmm. solutions and initiatives. Like just look at all these past summits and meetings that have gone on and looking at how the ozone hole was a a problem we solved and it was just a shift to different technology. But in reality, it wasn't. It was was the fact that it was such an urgent problem and everyone was able to come together from around the world to create the solution and say, okay, enough is enough. Like we cannot rely on um, these technologies. We have to move forward. But it's not just the creation of new technology that's going to help. Like it has to be people, it has to be people driving it, which is I think something that everyone has to realize at some point in their activism journey. Like for me, it just happened. So I don't think it sounds silly at all. (laughs) It really is a shift in thinking. Thanks for the validation. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's, it's about us. It's about people, which is, I think, and on one hand, like, a little bit overwhelming but then I think on the other hand is just so empowering it, it, it is us it is us people as a community like from from the global to the local uh that not only like are we the only ones that can do it but we can do it and we do have like that ability to do it and it has to be us like, I think I think that can be empowering too of um, how it's us, the people, and, you know, working with people locally and globally, that's a lot of what your work is, is you work with youth locally and around the world. So I was wondering if there's any recent projects or initiatives that you're really proud of, or like, that you've really um, enjoyed working on or starting this past year, or even the last couple of years? Yeah, um, I mean, can can I say like youth for nature? (laughs) Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, because yeah, it would, it would a hundred percent be youth for nature. Um, youth for nature is this organization that is, it's a global organization. It's a youth led organization. Um, and it started not that way. Uh, it started as, um, as a storytelling campaign 
that was a part of this other nonprofit that I had co-founded with my friend and colleague, Caroline. And we, we started it because um, I was super interested in this connection between nature and climate. Um, and I was especially uh, surprised and, and disappointed at how few people in the climate space, especially, were like recognizing that connection and, and we're talking about that connection. I um, mean, I, and I realized that uh, when I was fortunate enough to be able to attend COP24 with the BCCIC youth delegation. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm at, I'm at the biggest climate change conference in the world. I'm at the United Nations climate change conference. Um, and I have this background in natural resource conservation and biodiversity conservation. So I was so, so interested and excited to see how people in the biggest climate change conference in the world were talking about biodiversity and we're talking about nature because, I mean, I had come to climate action through a love of nature. I had come to climate action through an interest in biodiversity conservation. So that connection always felt very obvious to me. Um, and then to attend COP24 and just be surprised at how few people were talking about climate, uh, talking about nature in that space. I was, I was sitting there wondering like, where are the biologists? Where are the ecologists? Where are the farmers? Where are the foresters? Um, where are the local communities? Um, where are the folks that know how to implement and practice agroforestry? Like, where are these people? Those people weren't there. Um, where is this, how is this connection being, being made? So to try to address that gap, um, we created Youth for Nature and made it a storytelling platform. Uh, and the idea was that we wanted to platform, a platform to showcase all the work that young people are doing in that interconnected space. Because we knew, I knew that there are young people everywhere that were doing work for both nature and climate but there weren't any platforms to talk about that work um, and to broadcast that work and to demonstrate the leadership that young people are really having in this interconnected space. I definitely didn't see that anyway at COP24. Um, so that, that was the start of Youth for Nature was a storytelling campaign. And we really started it not really sure, not really knowing, not really sure where it was gonna go um, or what's, what was gonna happen beyond this storytelling campaign. And it has taken on a life of its own. <laughs> it has grown into something that I could not have imagined where now it's a full-fledged organization of itself. It has a staff of 12 young people from, I think, nine different, six, seven, eight, nine, yes, nine different countries, <laughs> a staff of 12 people from nine different countries and a volunteer, an active volunteer network from I think over 30 different countries from all continents. Our funding increased 300% from 2019 to 2020. Uh, and it's something that I'm the most proud of because, because not only is it, is it filling this gap that I wanted to fill, which was this connection between nature and climate from a youth perspective and being led by and stewarded by and, and created by and owned by young people. Not only was it filling that gap, but it was also doing it in a way that created paid opportunities 
created platforms and created resources for young people all over the world to be doing meaningful work in this space within this gap. Um, Because that was something else that I was feeling as well was that there's so much work to do. And as a young person, it's not only just like the overwhelming feeling of like, where do I fit and what work do I do? It's also sometimes I think like a false scarcity of opportunities and resources to even do that work. Um, And an even falser scarcity, even more scarce is opportunities that are paid uh, for young people to do that work. Um, Which is, I think, really, really important because there are so many young people that just don't have the that aren't in a situation don't aren't in a context where they can volunteer um or can't volunteer very very much or maybe as much as they would want to and they um and I think young people deserve to be paid for this work in this space too so that's one of the reasons why I'm really proud of Youth for Nature um and if I could tell one more one more story about Youth for Nature that I'm really proud of as well is the idea for Youth for Nature was really really born out of this experience that I got, had the opportunity to do, which was to go to COP24, to go to the 24th Climate Change Conference, um, the 24th United Nations Climate Change Conference. And that was an incredible opportunity. And I'm like, so I feel so lucky that I was able to have access to that, but that was also an opportunity that I had to pay for. Um, so it wasn't funded. I had to buy my plane ticket and pay for uh, chip in in the Airbnb (laughs) that we were staying in with the rest of the youth delegates. And I was able to afford that because I had a job, Um, but that's a huge barrier, right? That's a huge barrier. So like the majority of young people aren't able to do that, aren't able to um, overcome that financial barrier to attend something like that. And the opportunity that I had and the, the people that I met and the experience was so, so meaningful to me. Um, and I wanted to be able to support other young people to be able to attend spaces like this. Um, so one of the first things that we were able to do with Youth for Nature was to create, I think, I think one of the only, probably not the only, but one of the only fully funded global youth delegations to COP um, and to New York. So we went to the UNSG Climate Action Summit in 2019 in September, and we had a delegation of uh, 12 people from nine different countries that were fully funded. Um, And five of them were young people that shared a story on our storytelling platform about the work they're doing for nature and climate. And we're able to now like access this global platform to tell that story on an international stage. And we participated in panels and press conferences and we ran our own panels and we ran our own press, press conferences to be able to tell those stories in our own words. Um, and then we were also able to, to support a delegation that was fully funded and global um, of nine people, I believe, to COP25 from, I think, six different countries from COP25 to uh, six different countries to COP25. And again, like speaking on panels, running our own panels, running our own workshops, contributing to other youth workshops. Um, That's an invaluable opportunity for young people that are doing work on the ground in nature and climate to be able to talk about the work that they're doing, meet other people, gain access to to resources, to mentors, to funding as well. Um, That's huge. That's a huge opportunity. And And that's something that I'm honestly very, very proud of that I was able to to build something that was able to support 
young people to attend these events, young people that are doing incredible work that are leading um, in nature and climate in their communities to attend these events and not have the cost be a barrier to do so. I'm really proud of that. I love that you're able to do that work with your organization because I feel like a lot of the older people that usually run the negotiations or, you know, the official delegations from countries, they're adults with steady jobs, you know, most of them, like their job is to go to this, these negotiations and speak, um, but they're missing those two important aspects, which is um, they often miss a lot of the connections between climate and nature, climate and other spheres, and they don't have the qualifications or maybe they don't, that's not their area of expertise. So to be able to provide um, individuals who study nature or study those other aspects related to climate change is, with a platform is so important. And to be able to fund youth is something that is so amazing. And I'm so glad to hear you're doing it because it is really tough as a student or as, as, a, as a young activist to be able to fund um, a trip or even just fund your volunteer work the amount of unpaid internships is insane. I know as a student, I'm always looking for yeah. internships in the summer or when I'm off a semester. And it is so hard to find work where you're compensated for. And it kind of makes you feel, should I be compensated? Like, am, do mm. I have enough experience to be compensated? And I think it's really mm. important for people doing the work, <laughs> especially young people, to know that their work is so important and they absolutely yes. deserve to be paid. They absolutely 100% deserve to be paid. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, like what a way to just like perpetuate and continue to feed into this imposter syndrome, eh? Like, oh, I don't, this kind of work doesn't deserve to be paid or yes, it should be volunteer. Cause I'm not like at that level yet where I am being paid for this work. Like, ah, no, <laughs> no, you are so worthy of being paid no matter where you stand at the level of work you're doing. Yes. Oh my gosh. Especially, um, and like this, especially when that work is is trying to address some of the biggest problems that we are facing and we need everybody to be able to in order to have any chance at surmounting these challenges like we need everybody yeah yeah I agree 100 (laughs) percent okay so lastly what are some things that you hope or wish to see from climate action specifically among youth I, I can see how we've touched bases across various questions that we've addressed today, but perhaps other than, you know, feeling overwhelmed about climate action and youth, you know, hoping to empower them and seeing that they do have a role and they can make changes um, in climate action. Is there anything else that you want to point out in specific regards to how youth conversations and youth narratives are important and crucial in climate action? Yeah, I'm to answer the question, like what 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 do I hope or wish to see from young people? Honestly, I think young people are already doing the most. <laughs> like we're doing so much. Um, and gosh, uh, like young people shouldn't have to be, you know, marching in the streets um, or missing school to demand a livable future nevertheless, a future where everyone can actually thrive. Like we shouldn't have to be doing that. Um, uh, We are, and that's incredible. Um, But I I want to like maybe preface my answer with that because like, I 
I, I'm seeing from a lot of young people that I work with, like young people in, in this climate space, just totally burnt out, you know, just overwhelmed, trying to do everything, trying to uh, lead an organization <laughs> while also write a thesis to uh, take an example <laughs> quite directly um, from myself uh, and, and, and try to keep all these issues in their heads, um, in our heads at the same time, while also, you know, like dealing with other life challenges um, and right now also dealing with the global pandemic, like young people around me are, are really burnt out and we can't be burnt out this early because there's so much work that has to do and, and like our energy and ambition um, and knowledge uh, and expertise is so, so critical to this space. So I think maybe one thing I hope and wish to see from young people is, is to prioritize care for themselves and for their community, um, to, to lead with empathy and compassion and care for their community and the people around them, but also for themselves. Um, I need to get better at doing that for myself, for sure. Uh, and that's something that I think is really important to remember because this space is challenging. It can be really challenging to be in the, in the climate space, especially as a young person. It can be really discouraging. You can feel really hopeless really easily. Um, so prioritizing care and, and grounding that care in community as much as you can, if, in, in as many ways as you can and as much as you can, I think is really critical. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other things I hope to wish and I hope to see from young people, it's honestly to keep it up, <laughs> keep the pressure up, um, continuing to uplift each other uh, and to be you know, supportive um, amongst each other as young people. Uh, some of the most powerful and inspiring movements and communities I see are ones that are like peers supporting and uplifting each other, you know, young people supporting and uplifting each other and passing the mic to each other and, and um, uh, calling each other, um, calling each other in and, and showing, showing the world how wonderful all of our peers are. So that's something that I want to continue to see. Um, and then, and then for young people that are like looking maybe to, to are wondering like what their place is or looking for opportunities, um, I, maybe a piece of advice that I would give other than to follow excitement, because I think that's huge um, and super important is to figure out what you're actually excited about and want to do. But another piece of advice would be uh, to just try things honestly, um, like go search out those opportunities and, and just try them and, and figure out which ones that you are, you're excited about, because at least my experience has been th the place that I am right now, I never would have expected being five years ago or even like three years ago, to be honest. And the only reason that I am here, um, in, 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 a, in doing my master's in the thing that I'm doing it in and, and running, I'm helping to run this organization. The only reason I'm here is because I, I tried a bunch of things and some of them I didn't like um, and some of them I really liked. And, and that helped introduce me to different people and to different ideas and to different opportunities. And, and it just kind of goes forward from there. Um, so honestly, to just, to just try different things um, and don't, and it's okay if you don't like it because there are so many different other opportunities. And if you're looking for opportunities, I mean, I have to plug I have to plug the Youth for Nature storytelling campaign. Uh, the second campaign is currently running. Um, it's called Your Story, Our Future. And we're looking for stories from young people uh, who are doing work 
in the climate and nature space in some ways. And that can look like a lot of things that can look like, um, you know, actual on the ground uh, reforestation or agroforestry work, but that can also look like um, getting involved in conservation campaigns or running a podcast about nature and climate, for example, um, or getting involved in policy in some way or in advocacy in another way. It can look like a lot of things. Uh, and that story itself can look like a lot of things too, or accepting like text-based stories or photos or videos or audio or art um, or combinations of all of that. Uh, and we're accepting stories in any language as well. The actual instructions to submit are in six languages right now. So we have six working languages in the campaign, including French, Spanish, Portuguese, Arabic, and Swahili. Um, yes, uh, and English. I might be seven actually. Um, and but 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 you can submit in any other language as well. It doesn't have to be um, one of the working languages of the campaign. Uh, and you can explore all the stories that have been submitted on our website, on our new story map um, at youthfornature.org slash storytelling. And you can also explore all the wonderful benefits that are included in submitting a story, uh, which include access to all the other incredibly young people around the world that are doing work just like you are um, and being able to connect with maybe folks that are doing work that is similar to what you are doing in your region or uh, outside of your region in another part of the world, which I think could be really valuable, but it also will include access to like exclusive um, training opportunities and capacity building opportunities and all sorts of things from like forest restoration to storytelling and communications. Um, and we'll be launching uh, a micro grant program as well later on in the year uh, where young people have access to actual seed funding to scale up their work. So we wanna hear from you. We wanna hear the work that you're already doing and that's an opportunity um, to get involved. And it's like totally free to submit a story and to access the opportunities that will be available to folks that, that, that participate in that work will be totally free because we don't want cost to be a barrier to accessing these resources. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I really hope that listeners right now uh, will check them out and hopefully access them in the future for whatever comes next with those opportunities. I mean, getting yourselves out there would be the first step and checking to see if you actually, you know, as you've mentioned, a lot of opportunities that you've engaged in um, you yourself have engagement um, involved, those that you enjoyed, but also those you did not as much enjoy. And, you know, mm -hmm. I believe that you don't know that until you get yourself um, involved in those opportunities. So get yourself out there. And I, we all encourage you to um, get as much learning experience as much as you can out of those opportunities and, you know, get excited over it. And also, I guess, not just about involving yourselves in these opportunities, I think a lot can be done within your own life, right? Within our own life. Um, we oftentimes think that climate action really involves volunteering or mm -hmm. working for these NGOs and et cetera, but it happens within our very own life, within whatever we do and whatever we act upon, the resources that we have within our own lives, within our households, with our family members, et cetera. So, basic practices of cycling and et cetera, those things that we take for granted, I think does play a huge role. So I think it's not just about 
you know, um, opportunities or volunteering can be about within your own life. So I think it's a really kind and empowering reminder about what you can do with climate action. And also I really like um, how you touch base on calling in, not calling out. Mm -hmm. The approach of and the perspective of viewing climate action could make a huge difference in between those two. I think a lot of times we think that casting blame on someone or the government and et cetera for accountability purposes, that is very important in terms of pressure but also approaching in ways that's calling in, being supportive of each other, being supportive of what we are doing to each other, what we are doing for our world is very important. And I realize that a lot of assumption is on, you know, burden is on youth to call for climate, mm. climate action, which is frustrating. And I just wanted to point out that let's call in for each other. Let's build that support system and build that encouraging, empowering atmosphere for climate action instead of one that's calling out and excluding certain members out from these uh, approaches and perspectives and climate action. Thank you so much, Marina, for taking some time out of your day to walk us through your experiences as a youth leader in environmental activism. As usual, we'd like to thank our team at BCCIC Climate Change for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned for our next episode, which will be coming out towards the end of June. For news related to Marina's work and more, give BCCIC a follow on Twitter and on our brand new Instagram, where we discuss the SDGs and research on what we're doing locally to fight against climate change. Our handle is at BCCIC Climate. Thanks again, Marina, for joining us today. Lastly, before we leave, we'd like to end our episode with your final remarks on climate action. Perhaps any last comments for everyone regarding everything we said today or climate action in general before we leave? Oh, whenever anybody asks me this, I'm like, oh no, this is when I'm supposed to say something uh, <laughs> really poignant, you know, and <laughs> that nicely wraps everything up. <laughs> um, but like maybe like one other small thing that I'll add uh, one is that one of the most like powerful things that I think young people especially can do, but anybody, not just young people can do in, in the climate space is to talk about it is to talk about the climate crisis and is to talk about biodiversity crisis and talk about climate justice and what that looks like and how you understand it and how that connects to your community and your context um, in the places that you're in. That is huge uh, because we need everybody and the most powerful messengers in our life are people that we already know and love and trust. And if you can talk to the people in your life that you know and love and trust and talk about climate crisis and talk about the things that you're thinking about and the things that you're learning um, from podcasts like these, but from even from Instagram or the things that you're learning from books or the things that you're learning from documentaries that you're watching. Like that's so, so important. And you can honestly, you can shift the way other people are thinking about these things too. And like that those all we need like millions of those shifts you know for millions of people for billions of people all over the world and as that happens we're going to start to see like actual um from the ground up actual change that will put the kind of pressure that we need to to start catalyzing this transformative and systemic change that is urgent and needed immediately um so yeah talk, talk about it talk 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 about it yeah, talking about it. That's what we're trying to do here at this podcast. And hopefully that's what yeah. everyone's trying to do at home. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much, Marina.
We actually have another news for us and everyone else listening to this podcast. This will be my last day in Y Talk Climate. I guess my hope is that this is not our last goodbyes. I hope to see everyone someday somewhere in our communities passionately advocating and creating positive changes around us. I've been so thankful to be part of this podcast. And I'd like to thank you all for having me for the past couple of months. And this includes the audience. I wish you all the best always. Otherwise, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a lovely rest of the week. See you again soon.